You are looking live. I don't believe what I just saw. It is possible. There are no flags on the field. It's a miracle. Live from the epicenter of the basketball universe, it's the 252. Sports Talk Radio's done by academics like me, Chris Garrett, history professor at Bethel University. And I'm Chris Moore from the political science department. Uh, and I'm Sam Mulberry uh, from the history department. And I want to propose we rename this. Because um, there's you been a... Di- you finally call it the 252? So you want the 252? You want... It's 252. I think it is the 12 score and 12. I think that's what we need to go with. <laughs> we do our throwback 19th century that's episode. Right. That's that, that's what we'll do. Uh, Dr. Moore, are you, are you, you're kind of day-to-day, it sounds like, here. Do we need to put yeah, you on I'm, the IR? I'd on the, I'm, uh, what, what's the hockey term? Side. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's right. right. <laughs> it's an upper body injury. Yeah, I, no, I, I just have a little bit of a cold and three classes to go today. So we'll see how long well, the I'm glad lasts. you're prioritizing this podcast ahead well, of your yeah. classes. Thank you. That's Absolutely. the right choice. Uh, we're going to sh- mix things up a little bit here. Uh, well, first of all, preview where we headed. We're having a conversation today for no especially good timing reason about sports and movies. Mm-hmm. Like, it feels like we should have done this for Oscar weekend, but um, I think we wanted to hold in reserve. But actually, sports movies and Oscars don't go together real well. Not usually. We'll talk about that. So mm-hmm. coming up in segment two, we're going to do another Mount Rushmore, the Mount Rushmore of sports film. Uh, here in segment one, uh, we usually end with Worth the Watch. I thought we'd actually start with Worth the Watch for a reason we'll, we'll come back to. Uh, Sam, tell us about horse racing. Yeah, so uh, I had recommended that people watch the Dubai World Cup, even though I don't know if it was viewable at all. Uh, the defense Defending champion Thunder Snow uh, bested Gronkowski, which was twenty-five Hold to on. one. <laughs> it's the name of the. What's interesting is, is I was. Are we are we sure it's not actually Rob Gronkowski running in a horse race? <laughs> he has extra time. On There's like chance. a thirteen percent chance that because he's retired now. So, <laughs> yeah. So he may. Inv- he's I just did. looking for something to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I will see if there are pictures of it. Please. Yes, because there was a photo finish because uh, Thunder Snow won literally by a nose in a photo finish (laughs) uh, to win the most lucrative horse race in the world, and it's the first horse to win it twice. Mm -hmm. So this this horse has made a lot of money. I want to believe horse racing is the kind of sport where they still actually use, like, old-fashioned film and, like, it takes five minutes to develop. (laughs) Right, right, right. (laughs) Well, that wouldn't be old-fashioned film. It would be, like, at least a Polaroid. That's That's right. right. Like like a plate. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. It is interesting. Matthew Brady is. It is interesting though because, like with instant replay, when you're at the track watching, uh, like watching a photo finish horse race, they don't. It takes a while, like Mm because they want to make sure. Sure, they do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, And then uh, Chris Geertz had said that continuing our world tour. Yes, said that we should watch the uh, Australian Football League West Coast. Eagles uh, against the Greater Western Sydney Giants. The Eagles won. Now, before you, I'm just going to go mm-hmm. ahead and grant this was not worth the watch. It was a terrible game. It was a blowout. It was but a blowout. Tell us the score. So I don't actually know how to read the score. So when I looked it up, what I first saw, what does was, it look like? It looks like this. So the uh, West Coast Eagles had. It looks like 6.8, and then in parentheses... 16.8. Or excuse me, 16.8, and then in parentheses, 104. Sure. Mm-hmm. While the Greater Western Sydney Giants had 7.10, yep. and then in parentheses, 52. Now, I had to do a little bit of research. <laughs> Seems right to me. <laughs> because it, now, when I read the article, a I, metric score. I realized that the number in parentheses is the actual score. Ah. Mm-hmm. So so it was a it was a 104 to 52 victory. So it was a major blowout. Big blowout. Um, them up. So the uh, the first number before the decimal point is the number of goals. Yep. 
And then the after the decimal point is the number of behinds. Behinds, right. Mm. So if you, everyone go ahead, visualize an Australian rules football field. So I know you've seen this a million mm-hmm. times. So there are multiple goal posts, right? There are the two big central, and then off to the side, you've got secondary goal, goal posts. Really? Yeah. And so if I remember right, you know, uh, so you try to kick it through or bat it through in the game. You're trying to put it through the two central ones like you would in rugby or, or American or Canadian football. But if you get off to the side, it's like a kind of uh, consolation prize. I I am gobsmacked right what, now. What if what if we played basketball, but at, at the at like the at the sides of the three point yeah. line, there was like a nine foot rim you could score one point on by dunking. Yeah, I I'm not sure it's such a terrible idea. Wow. All right. Uh, anyway, like no. I just love that. I think we should try this with like when we report NFL scores, we should do like four point zero parentheses twenty eight to one point three sixteen. Yeah, yeah. Somewhere uh, there's a Richter scale. I'm yeah. not sure what's happening. Right. I. I I've said to people, I wish I wish you could see your face right now. I wish I could see my face when oh, you were yeah. describing that because I. <laughs> well, I thought you knew all about this. No, like, yes. I thought yes, it was basically. Was. I thought it was like Canadian football, where it's like it's basically football. With the rouges, That's insane. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, uh, Chris Morse. So, listeners, yes. let us know why this happens. I, I that's you've just learned as much as I know. Uh, Chris Moore said that we should watch the Sweet 16 Elite Eight. I will say, in my life of watching the NCAA tournament, this might be one of the best Elite Eight rounds I've ever yeah, seen. this is pretty fantastic. Two overtime games. Yeah. The biggest blowout was a six-point game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was fantastic. I, yep. I think that the um, the the Purdue-Virginia game was going to go down as kind of yep. one of the greats. Because yeah, had, you had a buzzer beater. You also had an epic performance by, I'm forgetting the guy's name. Edwards. Edwards, yeah. Who's that, kind of lost his mind. Yeah, oh, yeah, I mean, he was just – he had 10 threes and was just crazy. And, and yep. shots that were – I mean, it was sort of like when you watch Curry just just like chuck him up there. Mm-hmm. And like there were shots where I said to Bank, oh, no, and then he made it. And I was like, I guess. <laughs> so that had, was really fun He had fun the to game that you dream you have when you're like eight years old shooting hoops in your, in your yeah. driveway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this leads well then into uh, – we should update our March Madness bracket. Now, at this point, I, I think Dr. Moore has been eliminated from – Sadly, yes. So I, I, I had a decent showing making yeah. it into the Sweet 16, and then every all the wheels fell yeah, off. Didn't break, right? So uh, right now, Sarah Shady, our friend, who's going to be coming back, I should announce, in a couple weeks on the 252 is leading. Uh, Sam is number two, but I but think I'm you're done. I'm done. You yep. have no teams I left. got destroyed this weekend. So I'm number three. I'm a ways off, but I actually do still have a path to victory if the Virginia, I'm going to call them the Wahoos, not the Cavaliers, actually pull it out and win the championship. Yeah. Now, unfortunately, they have to do that because Sarah and I both have Michigan State winning in the other side of the bracket, mm. and so that doesn't help me at all. And I'm far enough behind that if I understand our scoring right, even if Virginia just wins the semifinal, it doesn't actually mm-hmm. jump me ahead of Sarah. So I need Virginia. I, I can't believe, as a William Mary graduate, I can't believe Oof. I need to root for UVA this much. But they were but a fun a, team to watch. No, they were. It's yeah. a, a nice story. It's good. Yeah. 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 Bouncing back from last year. And, you know, every game, it, it's been pretty close. Like, yeah. they're not, mm-hmm. not blowing anyone away, away. But uh, speaking of that, another team that wasn't really blowing anyone away, but was, you know, kind of on track. I think, Sam, you might have had them pick to go all the way. Uh, the Duke University Blue Devils lost a pretty thrilling game against Michigan mm-hmm. State. Mm-hmm. I felt bad for my son. It was the first time he'd done a bracket. He had picked Duke to go all the way, and he, I think, felt pretty confident, and then things went awry at the very end, and he was pretty crushed. But it made me think, something we should talk about. Um, to some extent, we've talked about 
it's, I mean, like, why you root for a team, right? Like, what, how fans connect with teams. I think what's obviously interesting about Duke is that as deeply as the Cameron Crazies love the Duke University Blue Devils, Duke is equally deeply loathed by much of the country. Yes. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. So I want to talk about this phenomenon. Why do people despise Duke? And I think it's really basketball. I don't think it pertains to any other sport. Right. Unless no, this right. connects to the lacrosse thing or something. But I think I it's really think so, yeah. it's I the Blue I towards the political science department. I yeah. Mean, it, yeah. <laughs> why, why do people, let's just start here. Why do people loathe Duke so much specifically? And then yeah, maybe there's a larger kind of question to ask here. Like, why would people care in the negative about well, teams? Chris, as our elder statesman, uh, can I ask you a oh, question? Because uh, I want to locate when this began. Because I my first real memories of Duke were... Mm-hmm. When they beat the undefeated uh, UNLV team, yeah, oh. so that was like early Christian Leitner, and yeah. that team and had early Bobby Hurley. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, I mean, that team had a you know the, the UNLV team had a hundred percent approval yep. rating yep. at least for kids. Like we all oh. loved. That was a Danny Ferry team too, right? Was no, it? he was gone by then. Was he gone? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, we we might have run running rebel drills in basketball. Exactly. At that point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, to talk about a team that when you look back, like a lot of a lot of. I mean, I, I oh, think great players. Yeah. Larry Johnson, Stacey Ogden. Yeah, great mm-hmm. and great. It turns out to be great college players. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean um, well, Greg Anthony had a good NBA career, and Larry Johnson a good NBA yeah. career. Yeah. Stacey Ogden, not so much. George Ackles, Anderson Hunt. I wow. loved that team. Just blew me away there. Right, yeah. but we're not okay. talking anyway. about UNLV. But so, so they, and that was our. That was the first time in our lifetimes when there was a team that was making a shot at going undefeated yep. since the Indiana team in '76, um, and so. They had so that Vegas team, and all those part of the Vegas team too, though, is those guys all decided to come back for their senior year to try to win one more because mm-hmm. they had won the previous year. Um, and then Duke spoiled that, and then mm-hmm. Duke spoiled it with uh, some hateable players. Now, yeah. and what's funny is Grant Hill seems entirely loved, yep. mm-hmm. but but Leitner and Hurley are. I mean, there's a documentary about why I hate Christian Leitner, or I hate Christian Leitner. Well, called. so this was, I think, theory number one is it starts with Christian Leitner. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, is this just residue at this point of that particular 25 plus year old hatred? I, I think, think I think so. I think there's a there's some for people our age. I yeah. think it probably is. I don't know how much of the current hatred is then just passed down. Yeah. But like like I don't know why somebody who uh, who's 18 like. Why you would hate Duke? I don't. I don't actually don't know why that is. I mean, because well, do we know that's the case? I don't know. That's well, why. maybe not. I don't. I mean, it's I, this is all just my impression based on watching social media, just people I talk to. But like, I mean, it's a sports talker. Yeah. I, I happen to turn on our local sports talk team, and they were they were talking about. But they also said, but you know, this is actually a pretty likable Duke team. Yeah. Like, well, and I, I think, Zion Williamson is not Christian Leitner. Right. 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 Yeah. And, and I think I think um, what's interesting is Duke. And, I mean, at this point, Coach K and Calipari are basically the same in terms of one and done rolling yeah. rolling people yeah. in. Yeah. Yeah. And and Coach Cal gets nicked for that. Yeah. And Shashevsky still kind of skates a little bit, although that's going away yeah, more and more. Yeah. You know, uh, but that's starting. But but it took a while where Cal was always kind of hit that way. Because I, I used to feel much more ambivalent about Duke. I had the kind of uh, you know the response we're talking about, but I also basically re- respected Shashevsky because he did seem. You know, to the extent that Professor Shady was right about Bobby Knight emphasizing, you know, playing the right way, graduating, like he had high graduation rates for a mm-hmm. long time. He's part of that coaching tree too. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't seem the case at all. I mean, the second then theory. I mean, so it could be the coach, right? I think that's a way of thinking about this. Maybe mm-hmm. uh, the other theory is just like we hate dynasties. Like, I was trying to think of other teams that inspire this, and I think of the Yankees. Yes, yeah. I mean, the, yeah, well, I, dynasties like, are fun to hate in that yeah. way. Yeah. Is there a component to this, which I think I linked this to the Yankees, to which Duke? Uh, um, Suffers from socioeconomic 
Yeah, uh, factors as yep. well too. Uh, Duke, Duke is a prestigious blue blood school. Yep, literally blue, I guess in this case. Yeah, and uh, if this, I think the same thing would have happened if Stanford had built a dynasty of basketball. If but like, do I people feel this way about Notre Dame and football? Because I would put yes. Duke and yes. Notre so. Dame is pretty hated. They're either loved or okay. or pretty hated. Yeah. Okay, right. All right. Uh, the final theory is I, I, I you know extolled not North Carolina itself, but Dean Smith, when we were talking mm-hmm. about him out Rushmore of college basketball. Yeah, partly I suggested I felt like he was on the right side of history in that state. I don't know that that's as true of Duke. But I do sometimes, as I think about my friends and how they line up, if there's not like an alma mater connection there, it often does seem to chart like red and blue. I mean, mm-hmm. my Republican friends like Duke, my Democrat friends like North Carolina. And I don't know if that's largely true or if that's just my particular weird corner of the world that I experienced. But I, that was the only other theory I could come up with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Krzyzewski does also have attachments to Republican candidates' causes. The kind of speaking gigs he does often are veering in that direction. I, but I feel like the sports hatred is so broad that I don't think that it's that. Okay. Uh, I mean, I think there there is sort of the... Uh, the embarrassment of riches. Like, I remember when Zion signed with Duke and everybody was like, you mean they're already getting R.J. Barrett and they're already getting... Reddish. Um, yeah, Reddish. And then they're also getting Zion. And it was yep. like, you know, that's why that's why John Morant was such a cool story because he went to Murray State. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, he's going to be in the top three or four in the draft. And he, he actually did a bunch of interviews about, like, why did I go to Murray State versus why not go to some one of these other Yeah, places. I mean, I, I wonder if it's almost tied indirectly to some things we talked about recently with sports recruiting and college athletes. I mean, that was we were talking about Olympic sports. Mm-hmm. but Or I, I wonder if it's almost like um, kind of a parallel to the, oh, Harvard got another million-dollar donation. Right? I think that so, kind of thing. Yeah. Like, it's a resentment of these elite colleges right. and the role they play in American society. I mean, if, it could just also be basketball but i mean and going back to the yankee thing really quick like it's why i think duke is great for basketball because how much how much i picked duke to win the tournament and i was kind of happy when they (laughs) lost too because it's like whenever duke loses in the tournment it's kind of great i kind of wish they were the first six one to lose to a 16 that would have been great great. so i do think this actually foreshadows so to speak our second discussion of film because there's something about you need a villain right Mm -hmm. is also part of the sports uh drama that we'll come back to in segment two can can i uh pick up on that point since you mentioned michigan state beating uh, Duke, I think Michigan State is actually the inverse of Duke in this way. Uh, even as another as a, as a Big Ten fan, and I don't root for Michigan State in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Michigan State and Tom Izzo has cultivated this this perception that, that these are uh, blue collar, gritty working class guys who come to his program. You know, I think the Flintstones mm-hmm. from uh, from that championship run with Morris Peterson and Mateen Cleaves, and that really is. I mean, blue blue. Duke has cultivated this blue blood ethos of uh, the pretty boys, the best of the best. They come here. And it used to be the Christian Leitner's Bobby Hurley's, and now it's the one and done's. Mm. And I think this fits this narrative of these guys are, you know, this is the, too cool for school. They are they are the villain in, a, in an 80s teen oh, comedy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's move on. The second thing, and it, I'm going to just call this the, like, six in the morning talker. Like, the last few episodes we've done, we've kind of had, like, one thing we knew we were talking about, and then something will come across <coughs> in my news feed right before we're kind of polishing off the script. And so I don't know how much you have thought about this, if you've even seen it, so let me set this up. Uh, as we all know, a few weeks ago there was a mass shooting in the city of Christchurch, New Zealand, at a mosque where a, a, a white supremacist shot dozens of New Zealand Muslims. Mm-hmm. Okay, skip forward now. Uh, in the news in a few places, NPR, Washington Post, Yahoo Sports, all had this story yesterday. 
There's a rugby team in Christchurch called, it used to be the Canterbury Crusaders, which is a neighborhood in Christchurch. Mm-hmm. Now it's the B&Z Crusaders, which I think is a bank that owns the team. Uh, they are considering changing their name. They have already mm-hmm. dropped, they used to have actual knights on horses ride out at the beginning of a match and like circle the, the field. Conquer Jerusalem? Or? Uh, something like that. Okay. And they, they've already decided to drop that. They What they announced, I think, was actually they're hiring a research firm to study the marketing implications of changing the name. Now, I should say, this is a significant team. Uh, Mm -hmm. They are the reigning champions in the Super Rugby League, and they've won it like nine times in the last 20 years. So here here are Yankees of New Zealand rugby in what's, you know, a pretty significant rugby country, right? Okay. So, of course, this is a variation on a theme that's happened a lot in American sports history, especially in recent years, and but one we have not talked about. So I thought it's a good place to talk about debates over nicknames and mascots. And Crusader is an interesting one. So let me give you a little bit of history here, because this used to be a very popular name. It still exists, especially at the high school level. Uh, mm-hmm. Sam mentions, I don't know if Bethlehem Academy is still the Crusaders. No, no, it was it? my my, uh, my elementary school was the Consolidated Catholic Schools Crusaders. Ah, but especially yeah. Catholic schools. Um, but not just Catholic schools. Uh, evangelical colleges had this. Mm-hmm. And things began to change. So in 2000, Wheaton College of Illinois, the evangelical school, not the one in Massachusetts, dropped the name Crusaders at the instigation, I think largely of then-President Dwayne Litvin, and for the reasons I think we're all assuming, which is that it it has now become this rather embarrassing historical um, analogy to a complicated event, mm-hmm. but not one that Christians probably ought to celebrate. A holy war against not just Muslims, but Jews and fellow Christians are slaughtered mm-hmm. as part of the crusade. I mean, there's a lot more to that history, but right. it maybe is not one we ought to celebrate. So Wheaton dropped crusaders, had a vote, and they are the thunder mm-hmm. now. Right. Okay. Um Let's see. This has happened uh, a few other schools. Uh, most recently, kind of in our world, Northwest Nazarene in Idaho dropped the name Crusaders in 2017 for kind of similar reasons. I think they're now the Nighthawks. Uh, but not everyone has. So Valparaiso University, which is often March Madness, is still the Crusaders. That's a broadly Lutheran school. Uh, Holy Cross, which is a Jesuit school in Massachusetts, in 2018 announced that they would change their logo. So now it's just an interlocking HC. They've dropped the Crusader emblem, but they kept Crusaders. And you want to guess at the reason why they kept Crusaders? Or like what argument would you make? In I feel like I've heard this because Bill Simmons talked about it, but I don't know. Well, I mean, we were talking earlier, like Crusaders could be this historical thing, but is there a kind of broader implication of what it means to be a Crusader? Oh, sure, sure. Like, like when you talk about uh, a Crusader for civil rights or a Crusader for temperance. Exactly. Yeah. So the what they announced was they wanted it to stand for Catholics crusading for social justice. So they put it in the context of Catholic social teaching, right? Which, I mean, has actually been proposed in what I read about this New Zealand discussion of like, well, maybe it doesn't have to stand for this other thing. Uh, now, not everyone has done this. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, uh, by that. North Greenville University, which is a conservative Christian school in South Carolina, just drove past this a couple weeks ago, uh, changed their name from the Mounties, which... I'd love to know that story. <laughs> they changed their names to Crusaders a while back. Uh, in August of 2001, they changed the name to the Crusaders and have kept it ever since. August of 2001. August of 2001. I believe something else happened a month after that. Yes. There's a big debate, and yet they kept it. And though these many years later, it is still the North Greenville University Crusaders. No, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, there's, there are obvious reasons why uh, teams, college and pro 
get rid of these nicknames to appease certain constituents. Mm -hmm. It's also very possible some of these schools might actually keep the name to uh, make happy other kinds of constituents, too. And I don't know. Presumably alums, or he means to have someone else in mind. Well, I, I mean, it is a way of signaling... You know, we're not giving a political correctness, right? Is that a is that a fair kind of uh, interpretation? Sure, I mean, I could, sure. I could, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, here, here's another example of this. Have you heard of the, the school called Christendom College? No, Christendom College is a deeply conservative Catholic school in Virginia. I know about it because I used to assign a reading to my senior SEM students from a Christendom College historian who gave a talk once to Conference on Faith and History in which he argued that you should make no bones about doing confessional history. You should purposefully teach from your particular confession, and he argued you should lament the loss of the influence of that confession, in his case, the Catholic Church. Hmm. That's the kind of school, Christendom College, and Christendom has other medieval uh, evocations as well. Mm-hmm. Not only are they the Christendom Crusaders, but their logo is the emblem of the Kingdom of Jerusalem. The colonial kingdom set up after the first crusade that the Ridley Scott movie is is about. It's the Latin cross with four smaller crosses. Sure. Like th- that's how they're not running from this. No, right? They're embracing right on the it. nose. And to circle it back then to New Zealand, like I did wonder. Part I think of what's going on here is I've read a lot of commentary that Christchurch is not just a city in New Zealand, but it's a deeply English city. Mm. You know, English immigrants. It's sometimes called the most English city, not in England. And I, I do wonder if this might tie into another debate that's going on in a uh, scholarly field, which is medieval studies people wrestling with the way that their field is used by white nationalists, white supremacists, mm-hmm. right, as, as evoking a kind of racial historical arc. You know, when were whites great, right? It's the Middle Ages. And, and so I, I wouldn't be surprised as this debate continues that Crusader is, on top of its other implications, I wonder if Crusader in that fringe world also has that implication as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm just guessing at this. So, you know, if you are more knowledgeable about this, please write in. But I decided to bring that up. I don't, I don't know if you had any larger thoughts about that or the particular, like, obviously it's not just Crusaders. Uh, Native American names are uh, the other, you know, very famous version of this. Um, did you know Bethel used to be the Indians for a long time? I did, but I don't know when it changed. I don't either. It's a very, I mean, I actually suggest this every year as a senior sum topic. No one's jumped at it. I think it's around like 1960. I think it's kind of the 50s. So Bethel's relatively mm. early in making the change so, so we to went royals. So from uh, a problematic ethnic name to aristocracy. Uh, apparently, yes. Okay. That's exactly right. Okay. So, all right. Well, that's been the news lately. Can I, can I, um, yeah. I'll just pitch one more thing in here. Uh, this does work both ways. You mentioned how medievalists are worried about how white nationalists, white supremacists are using their field of study. Mm-hmm. White nationalists and white supremacists often utilize certain teams, jerseys, uh, 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 visages uh, of um, symbols uh, to signal white uh, um, white nationalism as well. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I'm sure we'll come back to this. We still, I think, need to do an episode on race more generally in Absolutely. sports, uh, and that's that's pending. Okay, but we'll be right back after a break to talk about sports and movies. Nothing even matters. and make it to the final Just repossess my Nothing even This week in sports history, Albuquerque, New Mexico, April 4, 1983. Coach Jimmy Balvano's unheralded North Carolina State Wolfpack upsets the mighty Houston Cougars thanks to a buzzer-beating dunk by Lorenzo Charles. Balvano dies of cancer 10 years later. 
Havana, Cuba, April 5th, 1915. Boxer Jess Willard knocks out Jack Johnson in 26th round to win the world heavyweight title. Johnson been called the first African-American to win the heavyweight belt. His racist critics called Willard the Great White Hope. Cincinnati, Ohio, April 9, 1980. The Reds shut out the Braves 9-0 to open the season both for the National League and for Rotisserie League Baseball, the pioneering fantasy sports league founded by writer and editor Dan Okrent. Atlanta, Georgia, April 8, 1974. Hank Aaron hits his 715th career home run, breaking Babe Ruth's record and prompting this iconic call for legendary broadcaster Vin Scully. One ball and no strikes. Aaron waiting. The outfield deep and straight away. Fastball is a high drive into deep left center field. Buckner goes back to the fence. It is gone. For baseball, what a marvelous moment for Atlanta and the state of Georgia. What a marvelous moment for the country and the world. A black man is getting a standing ovation in the deep south for breaking a record of an all-time baseball idol. And it is a great moment for all of us, and particularly for Henry Aaron. You've been listening to This Week in Sports History. They're gonna put me in the movies They're gonna make a big star out of me We'll make a film about a man that's sad and lonely And all I gotta do is act naturally all right, welcome back to the 252. It's just the three of us this week, and we're going to have a conversation about another Mount Rushmore. Uh, now, to recap, I think mm-hmm. we've done Mount Rushmore of college basketball, yes. uh, Mount Rushmore of baseball history, and Mount Rushmore of the NFL slash Super Bowl in right. our, in our right. pilot episode. Uh, this time, we're going to move away from any particular sport or league and instead ask you all, listeners, to vote on your four choices for a Mount Rushmore of sports movies. Now, I think we're all both sports fans and I think movie fans to varying Absolutely. degrees. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kind of have some sense of what you all will say, but we're going to do it kind of like we did the last time with college basketball. We're going to do kind of a serpentine draft. We're each going to nominate three. Mm-hmm. I think we'll also maybe share like one other that didn't quite make the cut, but we want to talk about. But before we get to the specific nominations, I want you both just to think about what's on your list. Mm-hmm. Because I haven't given you any criteria for no. In fact, like, I have some questions about this. Right. So, like, because before we've been pretty clear, like, not just who's the greatest baseball player, but who like did most to shape the evolution of the game or was most influential. I, I purposefully left this blank because I want to talk about what makes for a great sports movie and how do sports movies fit together. So, as, as you think about your three or four or five. Is there anything they have in common? Like, wh- what seems to make for a great sports movie? Uh, I they they tend to be. Uh, underdog stories mm-hmm. i mean like, mm-hmm. not always but the, but it's usually because uh, what we love about sports is somebody overcoming something yep so so that tends to be an underdog story um i also i mean they often tend to follow to get joseph campbell kind of the hero's journey a little bit yep. in terms of like there's a mentor figure um and and there there's this and and then there's the sort of the, the lessons along the way so so um the friends acquired right the, right but but also the also the sense of um uh, of this is bigger than sports kind yep. of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, since you mentioned Joseph Campbell, the word that came to mind when I was thinking about it is they're mythic. Yes. Right? Because, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I think even the first or second episode, we were talking about why we love sports, and I think, Sam, you can put it better than I'm going to summarize it, but sports is um, 
more fantastic than fiction, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like fiction is dead, right? Was the is that the Giants fifty one? Yeah, 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 Red Smith. I mean, this would like let's kind of like push it even further to say like, well, but if you're going to do fiction about sports, like it, it's got to it's got to be transcendent. It's mm-hmm. got to tap into some kind of archetype, some you know, so the hero's journey. Right? Yeah, yeah, and, and I think the idea that um, that because in sports theoretically anything can happen then it it, it it is a ripe field for some of those stories yeah yeah chris what about you what what appeals to you about sports movies what resonates as you think about your favorite sports movies I, well I, I think i alluded to this a little bit but in addition to the mentors and those joseph campbell tropes there's also the sort of the assemblage of the team right mm-hmm. there's the um some there are some great sports movies that are just a single athlete and we'll talk about that in a moment. But even in those movies, that athlete is usually surrounded by people who support, who are supporting them in their cause, supporting them, in, uh, or 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 have to be won over. They're yep. initially adversarial and then become allies. And I think those are uh, key tropes to to you know some of those seven or eight great plots we tell ourselves, right? And I think sports movies are a way of of, of defining those things. And I, th- I think it's also important when we think about sports movies is that sports has to be central to the movie. So, ah. for example. Forrest Gump is both a running movie and a football movie, but it's not a sports movie. I mean, those things happen in there. He's those things, but that's not the sense. It's got to at least, I mean, even if it seems like maybe the filmmaker is personally indifferent to sports, like it's got to, uh, it's got to be the setting at least. It's got to be consistently running through it. Uh, It's got to define the stakes of the movie, I Mm -hmm. think, to some extent. I think so. So the one, as we were talking before, is is Raging Bull a sports movie. I mean, I even like looked this up a little bit, and apparently Martin Scorsese is no great sports fan right. necessarily. Right. They had to be talked into doing a boxing film about Jake LaMotta. Talked into it by Robert De Niro. Right, by right. De Niro, right. And and at the same time, I would get we're I don't want to get ahead of it. Like I would guess Raging Bull is going to come up as I have this a conversation. Feeling it's going to come up. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah could you imagine? Is it? Could there be a um, a sports movie about Quidditch in the Harry Potter world? Yes. Okay, so the sport doesn't have to be a quote unquote real sport. No, you absolutely could write a Quidditch sports movie. Sure. Okay. Sure. All right. Yeah. Yeah, there is a good idea. Uh, um, <laughs> one other question we have before it does have to be a movie because Sam, you mentioned a TV series. I know at least two of us love pretty deeply. Yeah, I just, I mean, I, I was, I was just wondering for Chris because I know you're, Actually, you're a bigger really fan of, of Friday Night Lights, the TV show. So I, I'm going to say we should leave it off simply because there is a movie that I don't think anyone regards as great called Friday Night Lights. Right. But I would say here in this, I, I like. I hadn't even thought about it. If we were going to include it, it would be right up there in my top three. In the same way that I often tell students, like my World War II class, students always ask what my favorite, and I often say, well, it's Band of Brothers. Yeah, and I like Band of Brothers far more than I like Saving Private Ryan because there's something about, it's still a motion picture, right? But it's, the nature of the storytelling is different. That kind mm-hmm. of assemblage of individuals, you actually find out more than just kind of cookie cutter sort of types they're playing. Absolutely. Um, and that leads me to a, a related question, which is, has the sports movie taken the place of what the war movie used to occupy? Yes. Does it fulfill that function in a way in, that in war movies ways, cannot, yeah. at least going back to maybe Patton, so Vietnam era, or maybe even like Paths of Glory with Kubrick, like it, it is impossible to do the kind of war movies we used to do. And so instead, we move it to a different kind of field of battle, so to speak. absolutely correct. 100%. I mean, and even so, like, as you talked about assemblage of characters, I kind of, like, instantly thought of, like, a World War II platoon. Like, you've got right. these different kind of, like, types checked off. Like, we do that in sports. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, like, even if it's, like, a kid's movie, you think of, like, Bad News Bears or the Mighty Ducks or something, we do exactly right. the same thing. And, like, the underdog thing even plays into that. Yeah, a bit. absolutely, yeah. Okay. Well, maybe it's not. Maybe other things will come to mind. Unless you guys had other criteria we should think about. 
I think it's more interesting just to get to the movies themselves, yeah, we'll and we'll see what comes of this. Uh, Sam, I think I'm picking first because I, we'll I, I demanded first. it, and and I actually <laughs> going to pick something that I'm not sure was going to be on either of your lists, but I think this is definitively the greatest movie about sports of all time. And I actually watched it again this weekend to make sure I really meant okay. it. Uh, and that is the 1994 movie Hoop Dreams. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the greatest sports documentary of all time. It's in the running for the greatest documentary I've ever seen. And I'm a huge fan of documentaries. Um, it is, uh, if you haven't seen it, we're going to talk spoilers here, right? Like sure. You can yeah, tell yeah, what yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, like this is, uh, it, it's, it starts in 1987, and they, they, they find two young boys in uh, inner city Chicago. One of them lives in Cabrini Green. I can't remember where the other one lives. And um, they are taken... Uh, Low, they're found by a scout mm-hmm. for a high school, a Catholic high school in this in suburban Chicago, and it follows them over the course of their four years. Uh, and it's uh, and it's all about the sort of economics of inner city life, the problems of sports, and it and it is so. So it sounds like it could be one of those type of movies, mm-hmm. but it is also everything we talked about in terms of a sports movie, in terms of teams and mentors and underdog stories it's unbelievably triumphant um i know you haven't seen this chris but um but in the the, their senior year the character who's william gates who's like the superstar player struggles with injuries things like that and the guy who sort of has fallen away and you know is is kind of a marginal player leads his team downstate into like into the state uh state tournament and it is one of the most triumphant things you've ever seen Mm. it's amazing it's like it's almost three hours long, but it is it's, it's the best it's the best sports movie. I'm I have no qualms about that. I I actually left it off my list because I knew you would pick this number one. Yep. Uh, can I just ask before we get? Does anyone else have any other documentaries nope. on their no. list? Okay. Can I just mention two then? Because they didn't make my list, but I did think about them. There's one that almost made it on my list. Uh, so I'm, I'm just see. If okay. So the one that first came to mind that I was thinking about is When We Were Kings, which is mm-hmm. Leon Gass documentary about the rumble and the jumble between Foreman and Ali, which I think is much better than say Ali, the movie sure. that Michael Mann did. On the other, I'm not sure if it's really. Di- I actually had to look it up to remind myself. Have you ever seen Endless Summer? Uh, yeah, it's a surfing. Yeah, it's right? a surfing, yeah. and I thought it was actually following two actual surfers, and it might be more of a docudrama, but it, it definitely doesn't follow the same tropes as other kind of like mm-hmm. sports movies. But like as a sport, we don't talk about a lot. It, it's certainly a beautifully made movie from the '60s about surfing. So I'm going to just I, give you as a piece of homework for the year 2019, so you have a lot of time. Yeah, watch Hoop Dreams. Come okay. to my house and watch it with me. Is I'll it watch streaming it somewhere? It's on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Oh yeah, okay, I'll watch it. Can I throw one more uh, documentary recommendation on there? Um, Murderball. Uh, which is a uh, documentary about wheelchair basketball and uh, again brilliantly shot it's not hoop dreams Mm -hmm. uh, but it's a it's a fantastic documentary about a sport we don't pay much attention to exactly okay Chris do you want to go second or third um ooh this is I feel like this is high stakes it is I'll go second okay yeah and I'll take an obvious choice uh, which might be on your list too but I'll take Rocky it's not on my list so good not on my list yeah how how is this not on your list? I have a, I I have a reason why we it's were not all out guessing each other yeah. to some extent. Okay, too. Uh, Rocky is a it's boxing is central mm-hmm. to Rocky. Uh, this is a story about an aging boxer who gets one last shot at glory, takes it. It's the ultimate hero's journey. Yep. Um, it is the triumph of the uh, of the uh, of the unlikely over the uh, preponderant. Uh, it's it's almost an archetypical movie. Every uh, sports movie after Rocky, in some ways, is responding to Rocky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. but it just gets remade over and over. Absolutely, and over, both by Stallone and by other people. Right, and it's so good that even some of the the sequels themselves not not the initial sequels, but right. the but Creed is a yeah. highly regarded <clears throat> sports movie as yep. well, and it is responding to Rocky. 
Yeah, I mean, I thought something we might talk about at some point is which sport lends itself best to movies, and I think a pretty strong case can be made for boxing. Because you don't need to explain a rule. Right. Yeah. No, yeah. It, well, and it, like, it, it leads to this dramatic, like, hero versus villain confrontation, yep. Yep. right? It's also... The, the most, I mean, I don't mean this to be uh, sensual, but the most skin is exposed. Like, you get the most, for an actor, you need to see them act mm-hmm. yeah. because they're yeah. bare-chested and bare-faced. Yeah. And, yeah. Okay, well, this worked out well because now I get to pick two in a row and I can yep. pair my two because they, I think, naturally fit together. So I'm going to go ahead and annoy half our audience and say Field of Dreams at this mm-hmm. point. Which On my list, Chris. It's no surprise. Uh, like, you knew I was going to go baseball in this. And I will just say, of all the sports movies... I understand its flaws. You don't need to tell me anything about how terrible there are the aspects of Field of Dreams are. No sports movie moves me as deeply as Field of Dreams, and it harkens back to something I said at the very beginning of this series, which is that I can't separate um, my love of sports from my love of baseball first and mm. my relationship with my father and now with my son. Like, mm. Literally, my son and I were watching Ken Burns' baseball movie the other day, mm. and um, I mean, it really is about a father and son. I mean, and the, yeah. and the father is distant and, and only shows up at the end. But, like, the, once you actually have that encounter, that's one of the most moving moments in, in my sports that I've watched. But I also say beyond this, like, it, um, it articulates, again, for better or worse, these kind of mythic aspects we ascribe to baseball, which of all sports in American history – lends itself this is how people write about it Mm -hmm. right the way they think about the moments of sports whether it's ted williams last at bat or the 51 home run or babe ruth calling a shot there is something mythical about baseball and if you're going to make a movie about it why not go ahead and make something where ghosts show up in a cornfield in iowa which i've visited of course it's also one of the few times where the movie is objectively better than the book. And I have to trust you on that. It is. I, okay. You don't need to read the book. Okay. The, the, the movie's better. So I'll go a completely different direction then with my next pick, which is also a baseball movie, which is Bull Durham. Because like, right. I, I think you can't talk about baseball without having both of these sides. Bull Durham punctures every single myth that I just love about Field of Dreams. I, I think it, there's an argument we'll get back to later whether these are actually legitimately great movies. I think this is a legitimately great comedy and mm-hmm. to some extent romance too. It, it, like, it uses all of Kevin Costner's weaknesses as strengths in terms of the kind of character he's playing. Tib Robbins is hilarious in this. Mm-hmm. And it seems utterly true to life. Written by someone, Ron Shelton, who was a minor league player, um, but also like is this great witty, sardonic writer who... Uh, yeah, I, so I, I don't think I can give away things, but it's about Carolina leagues. So this is high single A, uh, Durham, back to Duke, mm-hmm. the Durham Bulls. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like this rich cast of character. It's about sports, but it's not just about sports. It's philosophical. Yeah, it's, it's philosophical. Yeah. It's it's sexy even. I don't know how much that matters to 252 listeners, but Susan Sarandon is pretty good in this. Uh, okay, I'll, you guys clearly don't want to talk about that, so I'll move on and <laughs> I'm say happy I think to let you own this corner. Belongs right there with Field of Dreams. Chris, back to you. Okay, good. Can we see me blushing? Is that possible? <laughs> That's where we can hear it. I think so. <laughs> Send your Susan Serena comments. Too. Yep. Uh, all right, so this opens up. I feel good about this. This opens up. I, I, I still get the top two picks on my board, and I'm for my second pick, I'm going with Chariots of Fire. Ah, you oh, took I mine. Love Chariots of Fire. Yep. yep. Uh, it's hard to make a movie about running. <laughs> yeah. And in the same way that a movie about boxing just sort of it, – it kind of fl- fl- flows off the screen. A movie about running is, is, is hard, and this movie gets it right. And it's, it's just – it's a Best Picture winner, and it, it deservedly so. 
I mean, it's a movie about someone not running, too. I mean, like, yeah, there are races, right. of course, yes. but actually the central story. Well, I mean, actually there are multiple stories. Yes, the Abraham correct. story is also mm-hmm. very important, but yeah. Yep. All right. Um, I'm going to take the obvious one on the board. I know, like, Kareem went last in our NBA, <laughs> our uh, NCAA basketball draft. I'm just going to take Raging Bull right now. It is, yep. It's the best movie yeah. that's about sports. Um, yes. It's on the yep. AFI list in the top ten, I think. <laughs> uh, I actually haven't seen it in a while, and I, I remember being pretty blown away when I watched it. It's filmed in 1980 in black and white. It's a gorgeous movie. Yep. It uh, it leads you it leads you to think about a lot of things in terms of uh, 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 kind of the sports and life and and uh, kind of what it does to a person and um, so it's it's actually it's one of those that I want to go back and watch real soon. Okay. Um, so I, that's a, that's an obvious choice uh, for the next one. I'm going to take a sentimental choice, and this is why I didn't mm-hmm. take Rocky. Okay, um, because I think there's another sports movie that is. Uh, and apologies if this is cheesy to you, but like th- this is a perfect movie. Uh, oh. And it's a pr- it follows all the sports tropes, hero's journey, everything. I think the Karate Kid is is, is yes. like a perfect sports nice. movie. It is. Wait, tell, tell me do how. I, do tell I hear me Amy popping it, crying out in the darkness? <laughs> She's the crying out. Yes. Yeah. yeah exactly. This is, I mean, you have the perfect villains in the yep. Cobra Kai and mm-hmm. Increase. Um, you have uh, you have Mr. Miyagi. You have Daniel as this underdog. Mm-hmm. Sure. It's about how you learn to become great mm-hmm. and and about mm-hmm. what that means and mm-hmm. what it doesn't mean. It it's. It's one of my favorite movies, and, and so so the, here's how it relates to Rocky. Um, Rocky is also this underdog story and yes. all these things. I don't. Most days in my life, I don't want to watch Rocky. Most mm. days in my life, I actually, if you said Do you want to watch Karate Kid, I'm in. Like I've seen it a sure. hundred times, and I'll watch it again. So so there's there's something to that for me. Sure. So I'll, I'll, I'll put that on my list. I like what so no problem with that. What I like so much about that. Maybe the boxing movies too is like it gets at so many things we tend to overlook about. Like they're basically practice movies. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That, that's, Montages, that's, right? That's the dominant thing that happens in those movies, and then you finally get the payoff at the end. But right, yeah. and then the the mentor, the coach, athlete relationship, right, which you know shows up in most sports movies. But Chris, back to you. Well, speaking of practice number three's movies. on the board. Or? My uh, my number three is on the board, and I'm going to take it. It's uh, I expect I had to defend this one a little bit stronger. I think my first two picks were very safe picks, but for my third pick, I'm going with Rudy. Oh, 1993. No. Not on my list. Uh, Sean Astin uh, plays uh, Rudy Rudiger, uh, Rudiger, um, who um, you know the, the the win here is that he gets to be on the team. This isn't about some ma- uh, massive victory. This is not you know becoming a triumphant athlete. This is a kid who who's barely competent to play football, uh, just works himself to the point that he's able to be on this you know a great Notre Dame team. And uh, I've established everyone hates Notre Dame, so you're kind of playing fast and loose with your votes here. Is that? Yeah, I, and I think. Or does actually, this actually transcend that because it's such an underdog story? Yeah, it's such an under, it, it, you know it would be as if like the ball boy at Duke got into the got into an NCAA tournament game and made like three free throws, and we would still boo him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right. Well, shoot, I was hoping Chariots Fire would still be on here. So instead, I'm going to have to make a really hard choice between. I want a Paul Newman movie on here, mm, and we've mm-hmm. talked so little about hockey. I want to say Slapshot. You really should. But I'm not going oh. to. Instead, I'm going to go way in another direction and say The Hustler needs to be on the list. Ooh, okay. Because we do not think about pool, but again, one of my dad's favorite sports. Mm-hmm. It really is central, but it is not just about pool, right? But that is intrinsic to the setting. So it's it's uh, Paul Newman is this rising young pool 
Hustler goes to a pool hall to take mm-hmm. on Jackie Gleason, who is this aging star, right? And so it's all about this duel between them in the pool hall. So it's this very, like, intimate, cramped, black and white kind of movie. Mm-hmm. And it's so seedy. Like, it's so hard. Like, mm-hmm. who do you root for in The Hustler? Um, and it also leads to another Scorsese movie, right? The Color of Money comes later. But yes. I, I feel pretty good about putting The Hustler up instead of The Color of Money. But, I mean, as, as getting at some of the darker sides of competition, getting at some of the foibles of competitors, mm-hmm. um, and getting at... You know, rising youth versus aging glory. You know, that's another kind of theme that we probably should talk about in any kind of sports storytelling. All right, so we were really running short of time, but I want to hear one movie you didn't have on your list that you maybe couldn't have picked even if you had five picks, but you would just love people to think about as a good sports movie. Um, I'm going to – I have others ahead of uh, on my on my list, but I'll throw in Bend It Like Beckham. I'll, I'll do a British sports movie too, The Damned United with Michael Sheen. That's a great movie. And I'm going to say one that's so marginally a sports movie, except it's a perfect sports movie, except the sport might not be sport is Searching for Bobby Fischer. Oh, I love that yes, movie. So, yep, yep, yep. Yep. Okay, so uh, as usual, we'll set up a poll with our nine choices. You get to vote for four. We'll put this on my blog, com, and you can also look for it at the Live from AC Second Facebook page. We'll be right back to wrap up this episode. That's why God made the movie. Well, I laid around in my swaddling clothes Until the doctor came and turned out the lights Then I packed my... Get in touch with the 252 by emailing us at livefromac2nd at gmail.com. We have almost no time left, so very quickly, three to see for the coming weekend. Chris, take it away. On Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the three and one Minnesota Twins visit the Philadelphia Phillies, who are four and zero. Oh. Mm. Come for the Bryce Harper, stay for the Mikhail Franco. Uh, Franco, by the way, is leading uh, the league in batting average right now. He's hitting five forty five right now. Uh, the Twins are the third best pitching team in the American League to start the season. The Phillies are the fourth best batting team in the National League. Something's got to give. <laughs> okay. All right, I am taking uh, April 6th, the uh, Aintree Racecourse in Liverpool, England, the 172nd Grand National Mm. Steeplechase Horse Race. Forty horses compete. We didn't talk about National Velvet. That's right. (laughs) 600 million people worldwide will tune in as they tackle 30 notoriously difficult fences in a bid to put themselves into the history books. The 7-2 favorite is defending champion Tiger Roll, who's looking to become the first repeat winner since 1974 when Red Rum won its second of three Grand Nationals. (laughs) I love that you put you in favorite. I'm sorry. No one could see that. Okay, and I'll say the 2019 Asian Cup of Table Tennis will be contested this weekend in Yokohama, Japan. Of course, it's not the world championship, but Asia dominates this sport. Last year, Chinese men and women swept the gold and silver in both brackets, but the host nation can root for 2017 champion Mu Hirano on the women's side and World number three, Tomokazu Harimoto on the men's. All right, Sam, we'll look forward to hearing your breakdown of the, of the Asian wait. Cup of Table mm-hmm. Tennis. Thanks for listening. Please cast your votes for the Mount Rushmore of sports films, either at pietoschoolman.com or at the Live from AC Second Facebook page. Chris, how do we end? We end by saying, go Royals. Go Royals!